What's up, everybody, and welcome to Decision Time. I'm Misha, and I speak with product and business leaders about their unique approach to decision-making. Each episode features a new leader where we discuss a recent product launch, we'll learn about their business, the unknowns leading up to the launch, and how they manage their time to ensure success. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Very excited for another part of Decision Time. Today, we have Will Doolittle, head of product at BevSuite. Will, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Misha. Great to be here. Let's kick things off. A lot of people may not know what BevSuite is. You guys are fairly nascent, building some exciting stuff in vertical SaaS. So just tell the audience a little bit about what the company does, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, BevSuite's both new and pretty niche. So uh, yeah, everyone's forgiven for not knowing about BevSuite yet. We're a startup that's only about a year old, uh, give or take, and we're in the uh, alcohol retail space. So we're building um, a package of solutions for anyone that sells alcohol. Our typical sort of customer profile is going to be like a your um, local wine shop, right? That's probably been in business for a while. Uh, has a strong community presence, started out in brick and mortar, and is looking to expand online, reach more uh, a broader audience, uh, and build customer loyalty and compete against the big box stores. Great. So obviously, we have Slice, we have Toast, we have Squire, and uh, hopefully Best Suite is going to be the next uh, unicorn. And what about that? There I like you go. Okay. So let's dive into the topic of the day, which is decision-making. And this is always interesting to ask of folks who are really in the build stages of the company, which I think is where you are today. Uh, tell us a little bit about your philosophy on decision-making. Lots you can do, I'm sure. And you have to be very mindful of how you deploy resources. So talk to us about your mental model and philosophy on prioritization. Yeah, well, like you, you said, this is always contextual, right? And the, our situation that we're in, uh, uh, like we like we said, very early stage, um, you know, really early days for us trying to prove out the viability of the business and the solution, the need in the market, uh, identify the right customer profile, the right target market and segment to go after. You know, all these things need to be tested and proven uh, and locked in as quickly as we can, so that we can move forward and execute as a company. Um, so we're on that on that uh, you know curve ascending up on. Uh, through sort of product solution fit into product market fit uh, and identifying the right thing to build for the right people. So at this stage, you know, we have to test stuff out uh, super early and super quickly and do it with a minimum of effort, right, to test assumptions and test questions and viability. So that means uh, having a lot of conversations, right, gathering a lot of quantitative and qualitative data uh, by talking to as many prospective customers and people in the industry as we can. You know, most of our, our of our group, we're a small group, but most of the folks come from uh, the uh, the alcohol industry, uh, alcohol retail, or at least have you know good experience in it. Um, I myself come from software, so I'm learning a ton about the industry as we go, uh, and so every day I learn something new. And you know, all of us, but certainly for me, like if I think back over the last year and how we've made the decisions that we have so far, it's really been driven by all those customer and pr- prospect conversations that we've had. You know, I've talked to literally hundreds of uh, wine and alcohol retailers about their needs, their situation, you know, what they would like to see solved through technology and software, uh, and just develop a better understanding as we go. And and every question, every conversation kind of sparks more questions so we can test uh, in the next conversation. So those those decisions that come out of those conversations, you know, manifest in like 
things that we can try either through building or testing or marketing. Um, and really, we operate on, on the time frame of like days or weeks to test things out. Whereas, you know, at a bigger company, you know, this process might take months or years to test out the same kind of assumptions. So it sounds like, you know, one of the important things here, obviously, is confidence. I'm curious, what is the inflection point where you say, okay, this is something that we want to double down on? Yeah, I think uh, there's there's a few sort of uh, stages here that that uh, that we talk about a lot, and inflection point is a good way to put it because like there are these like these big sort of gating tests that uh, uh, that we need to go through. Um, one is like just early stage, right? Is is there really a need here? What is the level of pain? Does it meet a certain sort of threshold? You know, where someone says this is really painful, and I kind of need to have it solved to to unstick my business, and that might be like. I'm using a generic tool to reach my customers and it's super, super painful and I just can't do it more and it's a barrier to growth. That was one of the things that led us to decide to uh, to look more seriously at investing in email marketing as one of our early components of the solution because uh, we talked to uh, retailers that were spending a ton of time assembling emails going out to their customer email list uh, that uh, they were doing with you know manual tools and a lot of like Googling, uh, like copying and pasting, you know, harvesting information from across different sources. And it would take hours for them to assemble these emails. And email marketing uh, is, you know, a super uh, powerful tool, very high ROI, uh, if you can do it right for a lot of these, uh, these businesses. Um, but at that level of effort, it just wasn't kind of viable as an expansion path. So we were like, okay, there's definitely a, a need here, uh, a level of pain that we think we can solve for. Next question is, will they actually pay for a better solution, right? And you can look at things like existing spend. Uh, you can do tests around, you know, their willingness to pay. Um, you know, try to get a contract signed, of course. Uh, you know, nothing nothing says you're willing to pay uh, better than actually paying for it. And um, you know, that's that's the next big gating factor because there are, there are lots of problems in the world that people, through conversation, will say they would love to have solved. But when push comes to shove, they won't actually, you know, spend their hard-earned money uh, on a solution for it. Um, so going through that gate, you know, is a big deal. And and again, I think with email marketing, we identified like, okay, there's existing spend on generic solutions, you know, the Mailchimps and Clavios and Constant Contacts, good solutions, but maybe not exactly the right fit for a lot of these uh, target customers that we're looking at. Um, so we can transfer that spend uh, into a more bespoke solution, and they're going to be a lot a lot happier. So those are two of the big, uh, the big kind of milestones for us as we're as we're rolling these things out. One thing that I'm interested in, in what you described. So email marketing, you know, it's something that's difficult. It's high ROI, but something that's difficult sometimes doesn't get done. When someone says that this should happen, but we don't do it because it's difficult, does that mean that when something exists that will make their life easier, they will do that activity? Or the pessimistic way of looking at it is to say, well, if you've not been doing it up until now, business exists. What is the conviction to say that you're going to pay for something that you've never done just because it's going to be easier going forward? Yeah, this is a great question. You're touching on a lot of things in here that uh, that we can kind of unpack because, um, yeah, big topic of discussion for us is, yeah, not every one of our prospective customers already has a, a sort of motion or a habit built around um, using this kind of tool. And they might say that they're they're interested and willing to entertain it and maybe even really want to, but uh, but are kind of stuck. And, and it's kind of a cold start problem for them in that, you know, if you're starting from scratch with email marketing, well, first thing you got to do is actually build a list uh, of customers and their emails to market to. 
right? It doesn't it doesn't work really well if you're trying to only uh, send out emails to like five or ten customers. Um, so there's that motion that you have to get into to, to start harvesting customer contact information, uh, which you have to sort of fit into the rest of your transactions that you're performing for people, either in store or online or both. Um, then you have to build a habit of actually using that list and sending out regular emails and kind of teaching your customers what to expect uh, in terms of that marketing and, and the kind of promotions that you're putting out and, and help them see that it's going to be good for them too, right? You're going to post like weekly specials or you know great deals that you get from a, a producer or a distributor um, that you can pass along the savings to them uh, when, you, when you get those deals. Um, so your customers should see a reward. And you can, over time, you know, build a, a habit around that that's beneficial. But, but it is tough, right, to to get to that point. This is a great example of a uh, of a uh, problem that businesses would like to solve. But if they're not already in a habit for it, you know, you can only ask for for so much uh, behavior change on the part of your customers uh, before they'll say, you know what, it's just not worth it, right? I'll just stick with business as usual, uh, and. Uh, uh, and you can look somewhere else, you, you know, for other customers or for other kinds of business. And and we do want to solve other problems for these customers. So so one angle of the conversations that we've had with some of these prospects is like, okay, well, if email marketing is not something you're interested in or kind of able to tackle right now, uh, let's talk about other ways that we can that we can help your business, right? Other other forms of new technology solutions, and that might be, you know, e-commerce might be um, a better point of sale system. Um, might be a mix of these things, you know, and, and over time, we want to build out a set of solutions that relate to sales and marketing on a, in a variety of channels, right, for these kinds of businesses. We're focused on this vertical market, um, but we're not exclusively focused on email marketing. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, at this point, again, early stage for us, we want to sort of, uh, uh, you know, pivot quickly uh, within these conversations so that we can help uh, like find a path to meet these customers where they are and identify the right things that are most painful for them uh, and the right things that we can build a solution for. So we, we did make the decision to invest in, in email marketing last year as one of our early you know, components of the solution. Um, but we've also invested in other things that, that relate to that and build on that. Um, event management is, an, is another example. That's actually a, a recent solution that we just kind of floated a... Um, uh, an early version of that we've got a couple pilot customers using. Um, and, uh, you know, between these two kind of modules, event management and email marketing, we're covering a lot more of our target market because some customers do one or the other, some do both. Um, but by offering both as independent solutions or as a joint solution, um, now we're having, you know, productive conversations with a lot more good prospects in our target market. Um, and we'll keep building on that so that we can kind of give them the, the pieces that make sense for them. And when it comes to building something and putting it out as quickly as possible, how do you judge the minimum threshold that shows enough value but isn't too clunky where just the mere experience would turn them off from the potential value they would gain if they actually use the tool? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little painful for me uh, as a product guy uh, these days because everything we ship is kind of inadequate in my mind in a way, you know, like it works well and, and we can help them use it, but, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have that level of polish that I know it will, you know, six or 12 or 18 months from now. Um, we'll get there over time, but it takes time to, to build really good tight software that covers all the needs and is totally self-service, right? All those things that we, you know, we, we have high expectations as users of software now. And, and so uh, we want to fulfill those expectations, but we also have to be careful not to overinvest in these solutions as we're learning, right? As we're finding that product solution or product market fit. 
So right now we're we're complementing the the solution itself, the software itself, with a lot of uh, service and support and handholding for our early customers. Right, and they're benefiting from this this kind of white glove treatment in these early days, uh, which is over the long term totally unsustainable for us, um, but is great for right now because you know we we engage very deeply with our early customers. We learn a lot from our conversations with them. Um, you know, we hear everything that kind of they think about the software, you know, we're talking to them every week. So we kind of hear all their reactions and we can turn that around very quickly to improve the pieces of the software that need that improvement. So yeah, it's very, uh, it's very laborious in a way to, uh, uh, to support these, these solutions as we're building them and flying them at the same time. Um, but, um, but I always have to remind myself that we're getting this huge benefit of these deep customer conversations to learn from that and, and turn that into, you know, actionable information for the next round. And you said something interesting. You used the word expectations. I'm curious, as a latecomer to the SaaS space, do you find that the burden of expectation is now heavier, even though you're serving, a, like you said, a niche that for whom like something like Square doesn't work, but they see how these other products do work for other customers? So does that require an elevation to your product that probably pioneers didn't have to deal with? Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a great point, and I think this is kind of a truism of software in a way like it's just it's uh software has changed so much uh since the early days i mean i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of an older guy in the world of software now like i remember you know i learned on command line unix and uh uh back in the day and uh you know software in the 70s and 80s uh was pretty different from software today so i think yeah every uh every decade every year even uh we see users expectations rise for what it can do and and not only in terms of like the capabilities but also how smooth it is to roll out you know our, our attention spans have gotten a little bit shorter and and we expect it to work right the first time out uh, we're not going to sit there and read a manual you know about how to install the software we expect it to just you know work as soon as we turn it on and that's okay like it's uh it's an industry-wide um you know kind of problem and benefit wrapped up in one right like uh, uh i think it's um uh, it's it's uh, an amazing thing that the software industry as a whole has been able to deliver uh, all these you know miraculous things that we now have on our laptops and in our pockets, and uh, uh, and I think now you know you, you mentioned this vertical uh, SaaS trend of uh, these others, including like uh, the Squires and the Toasts uh, that have been out there for a while now and then done really great things for the uh, uh, the target markets that they're addressing. Um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm just kind of thrilled to be a part of that. And I think, yeah, again, I have to remind myself if I get a complaint from a customer that something isn't as smooth as it should be, and if they're comparing us unfavorably to something that they saw somewhere else, like that's okay. That's a that's a gift to us. That a, that's a reminder that you know the the stakes are always getting higher, and we just have to rise to it. And and I think um, you know that one like it's the last thing I'll say on that is like we're also reaping the advantage in terms of software infrastructure. Right, the things that we can roll out quickly using the kind of Lego blocks that we've got available to us on, you know, the cloud platforms like AWS, um, you know, just just raises by leaps and bounds the kind of quality and capabilities that we can deliver quickly to our customers compared to five or ten years ago, when everything kind of had to be rolled by hand and we had to, you know, code everything ourselves. So the benefits go both ways, and uh, yeah, it's just an interesting kind of rising tide that we're on. Right. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the second question, which is time allocation. I always like to ask product leaders how they get pulled in different directions. 
I think things are a little bit different uh, when you're first building a company. I had a conversation with someone the other day who used the analogy of there's pirate mode and then there's Navy mode. And when you're building, you're often in sort of like pirate mode. Uh, so I'm curious, where does your time go in a given week? I know there's no typical week, but you get pulled by customers, I'm sure investors, your team. Talk to me a little bit about how that looks like for you. Yeah, I, I love the analogies of uh, pirate mode and Navy mode. I think I'm going to use that. Um, yeah, and we're very much in pirate mode these days, uh, just given the the nature of the business and kind of where we're at on our journey. But, you know, I think for actually at any stage of the journey, uh, as product leaders, we're kind of accustomed to having a lot of plates spinning at once, right? And trying to keep as many plates spinning, uh, as we can that, that, that need to be right. And, and sometimes one plate will be spinning on its own, uh, for a week or two and you can kind of leave it be and, and you got to turn your attention to other plates and then that other plate will start to wobble. So you got to turn some attention back to it and keep it going. I think for me, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in sort of uh, just enough in terms of like daily and weekly rituals to assess what needs to happen and prioritize the right things um, and then kind of get your subconscious working on it. Um, so uh, end of the week on Friday, I like to assess uh, what happened during the week and what I learned from it and, and what went well and what didn't, and then kind of team my my brain up for next week and look at the things that I think I'm going to have to accomplish for the following week. And then my, my subconscious can sort of uh, do some of that work over the weekend and help out, you know, plan some stuff ahead. Um, every day I've got like, you know, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but I have a lot of post-its on my desk where I write down things to do. Uh, it's not super organized, but it is uh, very visual. Uh, it's a reminder of everything that I could be doing. I end up, you know, not doing a lot of those things. And uh, uh, it's just the nature of the business. And especially right now, there's, there's just too much to get done in any given day, right? Uh, and as a business, that's true too, right? We've got a thousand things that we probably feel like we need to be doing. And yet in any given like week or month, we can accomplish like, I don't know, like five of those things, right? So uh, I, um, I tend to sort of lay all these things out and look for evidence that they're really important. Um, so part of the advantage of having the post-it notes on my desk is that I can, I can see when things kind of resurface uh, as a repeat need. Uh, if something came up as like, you know, a one-time idea, like, hey, it'd be a good idea if we could do this, or this would be helpful, um, especially if it's internal. I'll write it down, but honestly, a lot of the times that stuff doesn't end up getting done, and that's okay, right? Because we can't uh, we can't do everything. We have to prioritize the things that are most meaningful and, and really move the needle for us. So I kind of look for those signals, uh, and then use my daily and week, weekly rituals to prioritize the things that have to happen. And yeah, for me right now, that could mean you know, like you said, working with investors, preparing materials around financials and planning. Uh, could mean working on lightweight product roadmaps. You know, we, I used to do in bigger companies, I would do a lot of uh, presentations, you know, spend time kind of articulating the plan. These days, that's boiled down to like a, a 30 second pitch. Like this week, we got to do this X, Y, Z. Come talk to me if you need more detail uh, kind of thing. Um, but I always still make a lot of time for talking to customers, right? Going back to my earlier point, like um, if I'm not talking to customers to get their input and feedback on what we're uh, presenting to them and what they need for their business. Um, that's the clearest indication that I'm not, you know, prioritizing the right things. I've got to keep, keep learning on that front. If I push you to uh, provide some good old fashioned pie chart statistics, how would you break up the time spent between, you know, speaking with customers, working with your engineering team, boarding back up to leadership? Uh, what, what does that look like? I'm curious. Yeah. As you know, every week is different, but I think probably 
over the course of a typical week, if there is such a thing, you know, and just by in terms of like just raw hours or minutes in the day, um, the actual time talking to customers for me is probably 20% or maybe even less, but it's like the mandatory turn 20%, right? Everything else is fungible, but I haven't done that 20%. I'm in trouble. Um, so, you know, I, I do like to give myself time after those conversations to, to, uh, you know, to document what's been learned. Uh, I like to write things down for myself and for the rest of the team. You know, we're a small team, we're only a half a dozen people or so, but, but, you know, big enough that we need to be sure to be diligent about sharing information and knowledge with each other. So I do a fair amount of writing things down uh, in terms of, you know, customer conversation notes, um, plans and ideas, um, system uh, expectations and, and specifications. Um, probably uh, another 20% or so goes to working with um, directly with designers or engineers, right? And we're planning out features or building them to make sure that the expectations are right and that, you know, we think things are actually lining up to meet customer needs, um, kind of tie it back to those conversations we had to make sure it's going to address their business need. Um, probably about another 20% slice goes to working with our founder uh, and our head of engineering on sort of longer range planning, right? Assessing like week over week progress, uh, monthly plans, you know, six month plans. Uh, we're not always looking at those things uh, with the same, um, you know, level of precision. And I'm totally fine with letting things kind of float beyond the next like week or two, as long as the next week or two is, is uh, understood and prioritized. Um, but we do have to have a lot of conversations about it so that we don't like uh, surprise ourselves, you know, with expectations. Like if we have to, to start building something new next month, you know, let's start talking about it now so that we kind of know what the scope and purpose is going to be. So I think, I think I've added up to maybe 80% there. 20%, I don't know, everything else, like <laughs> the randomness of uh, whatever the, the week needs present. Hopefully there's also time to just ruminate and think. So I assume that goes into the randomness of the 20%. Occasionally, right? <laughs> well, Will, thank you very much for joining. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, I hope to have you on the pod again, some progress on how well Suite is doing. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks, Misha. It was fun. Thanks for listening. If you're a product leader and want to be featured on my podcast, send me an email. It's Misha at onchassis.com. You can also find the address in the pod description. All right. Till next time.